and that is that chocolates are for sharing. <laughs> uh, we love and honour you and um, trust that you have a great day today. Amen. Okay, um, so the title of this morning, what I want to share is Jesus and the cancel culture. Maybe you've never heard that term, cancel culture. Well, in fact, when, since we've announced it, one or two people have said to me, what's the cancel culture? And uh, you might not have come across that before, but I'm sure you've come across this before. <laughs> if you've been watching the news, that's gone up there a number of times. This is a picture of Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars because he made a remark about Will Smith's wife, which he didn't appreciate. So he went up and slapped him around the face. And then at that moment, Will Smith began to experience the cancel culture. The Academy of uh, Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences cancelled him for the next 10 Oscars and all other events that they are responsible for. Netflix cancelled a movie that he's in called Bright 2 and uh, Netflix, Apple and Sony are considering other cancellation. So he's experiencing the cancel culture. But let's look at the definition of that. This is from the dictionary.com. Okay. Quote, cancel culture refers to the popular practice of withdrawing support for cancelling public figures and companies after they have done or said something considered objectionable or offensive. Now, usually this takes the form of social media shaming. Okay, so it's not just that somebody thinks it's wrong, but they gather a lot of support. There's group naming and shaming, and it gathers momentum, and uh, the person that's been cancelled can feel like the whole world is actually turning against them. Its goal can be to take away someone's platform, fame, business, company, job, power, popularity because of something that is seen as unforgivable behavior either past or present when i say past i mean past some have even dug up things from decades in the past 10 20 30 years things that were said you know how time changes with political correctness maybe something wasn't offensive back in the days when it was said but now it's deemed to be offensive and it's been dragged up and used against someone to cancel them. Um, here are some of the celebrities that have been cancelled. Ellen DeGeneres, J.K. Rowling, Piers Morgan, Lance Armstrong, Tucker Carlson, and other Fox News reporters, Michael Richards, otherwise known as Kramer on Seinfeld, Taylor Swift, Justin Timberlake, and it goes on and on and on. And um, these are just some of the names of those that have been cancelled. But it's not just celebrities. It's not just celebrities. If somebody cannot control you, they will try to control what others think about you. And you might just discover suddenly one day that a lot of people you thought were your friends don't want anything to do with you anymore. What's happened? You've been cancelled. You've been cancelled. Now, we need to say this, okay? 
People do need to be held accountable for words and action. That's a given. Whistleblowers should be encouraged to come forward and lift the lid on corruption or abuse. But cancel culture per se runs contrary to the gospel for at least these three reasons. First of all, it's malicious. The nature, the spirit of it is very vicious and malicious. To select a person for cancellation is to target that person actually with hate. It's a hate campaign. And cancel culture is then fueled by a pack mentality. Next thing is that it's judgmental. It's making a judgment upon what you've said or done as being either right or wrong, and it's right or wrong because we say it's right or wrong. We are right and you are wrong. It's judgmental. Um, give, me, give you an example. You could, you could be looking at a comment on social media and you could tick like, which means, yeah, I agree with that. Now, it might be a controversial comment. It might be something about abortion or transgenderism or uh, same-sex marriage. And you've made, you've ticked whatever the comment says as like or agree and thought no more of it. Uh, gone on your way. The next morning you get up, you go, you go online and you discover that there's all these people that are against you. What's happened is that some keyboard warrior with a malicious streak in them has taken exception to the fact that you agreed with that comment and they've rallied the troops, they've led the charge, they've pointed you out as the... There can, only, there can only be one of us. Cancel that person. Okay? And then all of a sudden you, you're, you're subjected to all this venom that's been poured out upon you just because you had an opinion. You don't have a right to that opinion. It's judgmental. And then you're given a label or an identity. You're, you're known as something like a narrow-minded, bigoted fundamentalist. And often this is by people that have never even met you. They don't know who you are. They don't know your nature. They don't know what sort of person you are. But they put you in this box. And, and, and you know, you, you, you've read stories of how people end up with mental health issues because uh, this just gets overwhelming. They get anxiety attacks and... Uh, uh, just go to pieces because it's like the whole world is now against them. And this is the third reason why it's not Christian. It's not Christian. It's contrary to the gospel because it's unforgiving. I probably want to focus on that more than anything. I'm not going to speak long this morning, but this is the thing that really gets me. It's unforgiving. It's a very toxic culture that encourages people to be quick to cancel and reluctant to forgive. Rehabilitation and restoration are not the goal of cancel culture. The goal is to keep the cancelled in exile. You did wrong, you said wrong, you're out there in the wilderness, you're not welcome back. And the road to redemption is blocked by an angry mob. That's cancel culture. Now, let's look at what our subject is, which is Jesus and cancel culture. And I say this first of all, the cancel culture is not new. It's not new. In fact, um, coming from England, 
We used to have another term for it when, when I was a young boy. And it was called sending someone to Coventry. Anybody heard of that term? You, you know, oh, that person, we've sent them to Coventry. Coventry. Uh, apparently that comes from um, the 17th century, I think it is, where in the days of the Civil War, when if a royalist was captured, they were taken to Coventry and they were treated as if they didn't exist. They were totally ignored. They were imprisoned. They were treated as being invisible and inaudible. If they said anything, nobody would acknowledge them or even appear to be listening to them. They were sent to Coventry and that meant they'd been cancelled. It's not new, but people were cancelled in Jesus' day. And Jesus was always on the side of the cancelled. That's the good news. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus himself was cancelled, right? He came unto his own, his own received him not. The Bible says he was the stone which the builders rejected, which was a crazy thing because he was the chief cornerstone. You can't have a building without Jesus. He was the foundation. No other foundation can anyone lay except for Jesus. But they rejected him. And, 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 and you know that those leaders that were so anti-Jesus basically did what is done on, online today. They whipped up the mobs. They got the crowd and the, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the mob to come against Jesus. The same crowd that said when Jesus entered Jerusalem, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They had been turned to say crucify him, cancel him within five days of saying Hosanna. Now, this comes out in all the Gospels, but I think Luke brings it out quite a lot. Let me just read this verse to you, or these two verses. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him. I love that. You can read so much in that. They felt safe. They felt accepted. These were the cancelled people. These were those that were cancelled by the religious leaders and by society in general, the outcasts. But they all drew near to him. They were in his presence. They felt at home with him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives the cancelled. Doesn't he know? They're cancelled. You don't mix with those people, but he receives them. Not only that, not only accept them, he socialises with them. He has a meal with them. This was so radical. And then after that, Jesus told those three parables in that chapter. That leads up to the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. Jesus told that in response to this because he wanted them to know what God really feels like concerning people who are lost, people who have mucked up, people who have done the wrong thing, said the wrong thing. He does not shun them. He does not reject them. He does not send them into the Siberian desert. He goes after them. He actually pursues them. He doesn't just tolerate them or accept them. He goes looking for them to bring them back into the fold. That's what Jesus does. Here's another quotation from Luke before we actually look at an incident. 
the Pharisee, this is in the little parable that Jesus told, the Pharisee, incidentally, the word Pharisee, do you know what it means? Separate. The Pharisee prided himself in the fact that he was separate. Yeah, okay, you could say he was separated unto the law, that's true, but he, was all, he prided himself that he separated from anything or anybody that was questionable. That's why they were criticizing Jesus. You'd find the Pharisees on, on the corner of streets. And, and you know, when somebody like this, a tax collector, a sinner, walked past, they would gather their robes together and draw them in so as not to touch them and be contaminated by them. That was the Pharisee. It means separate. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Wow. <laughs> he thought that was good. That's shocking. That is shocking behavior in the sight of God. It stinks in his nostrils. I can't say it any more clearer. I think you've got the message. I thank you, Lord, that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I'm not like them. I'm different. Wow. Jesus is counter-cultural. He brings a culture that clashes with the culture that is in vogue. And he cancelled the cancel culture. His, his culture trumped the cancel culture. He didn't erect barriers. He broke them down. You see, what, what the Pharisees were saying is in society there's them and there's us. And there's a wall between us. And the other side of the wall, they're cancelled. Jesus came and he broke down all barriers. He said, you're all the same. We're all in this together. We are one mass of fallen, sinful humanity that he has come to redeem. That's the gospel. Jesus cancelled, sorry, Jesus called, cancelled people, his friends. Crooked tax collectors, prostitutes, outcasts, betrayers, etc. I use that word betrayer. You know, there's a couple of people, a couple of times in my ministry where someone has come to me as a pastor and said, be very careful of that man. Twice I can think of, be very, you know, do not encourage him to come in. He's trouble. He will cause you trouble. I can't do that. I cannot do that. Because Jesus didn't do that. There was a man that Jesus didn't even think he might betray me. He knew he would betray him. But he didn't cancel him. That's, well, what is that? I call it down here scandalous grace. It's more than amazing grace. Amazing grace is what we enjoy. <laughs> we all love singing about amazing grace. What God has done for me. But God, you can accept that person and bring him in. I don't know about that. That's scandalous grace. Amen? See, as far as Jesus was concerned, no one was irredeemable. There are a lot of unredeemed people that haven't yet come to Jesus and received forgiveness and reconciliation, but no one is irredeemable. So that's why I say it's more than amazing grace. It's scandalous grace. Okay, let's look at this um, passage. Um, 
Luke chapter 7. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Now, let me just say this, that often when a Pharisee invited Jesus into his home, it was a, it was a setup. It was a trap. They were looking for something to trap him. To say, it was like, you know, uh, to use a, a word that's in vogue at the moment, a gotcha moment. Okay, they wanted to catch him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Now, it doesn't say she was immoral, but that's what's very strongly implied. All the commentators say that's what the meaning is there. Whether she was a prostitute, actually sold her body to men, or whether she just slept around, she was known to be a sinner in town. And when she knew that Jesus sat at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And as she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of the head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Let's just try to imagine this for a moment. Okay. I mean, it's almost bordering on sensuality. The way she caressed his feet and, and, and wiped his feet with her hair and poured this ointment on her and uh, on his feet. And, and so all this is going on. I think the Pharisee, first of all, would be asking, how did she get in? <laughs> I reckon she was just a part of the entourage with Jesus. Jesus never went anywhere. <laughs> so had a lot of people that were following him everywhere. Who remembers Barry Smith, the evangelist? He was very popular. And when we were living in New Zealand, we, we invited him a couple of times to our church to do a crusade. And uh, one, one time, we, Marianne and I invited him and May to, to come to our home for, for lunch. And he turned up and opened the door. There's this whole gang of people he brought along. You know, people would say, oh, yeah, okay, we're going to Ken and Marianne's. Come along with us. Just gathering more and more as he approached our house. Open the door. Oh, come in, all of you. <laughs> That's what it was like with Jesus. You know, people just followed him everywhere. And, and these people, as we've just seen, who felt at home with him, that had been shunned by society, been shut out, cancelled, they just wanted to be with him. And obviously something was happening in her heart. She was feeling accepted for the first time and so overwhelmed that she just wanted to worship him and, and pour out her devotion to him, show her appreciation. She wept and washed his feet with her tears, wiped her, his feet with her hair. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. Okay, this is okay, we've got you now. <laughs> this is what we wanted. We've got you. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. She's cancelled. The whole point is he did know. He did know. And remember Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Like I said, you know, when he told the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son, 
He wanted people to know what God is like. This is what God is like. You think God doesn't love these people? He does love them. He's, he's pursuing them. He's reaching out to them. And Jesus answered. See, he knew what this man was thinking. He didn't say it to Jesus. He said it to himself. Answered and said to him, in other words, in response to what he was thinking, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. Uh, a denarii, by the way, is um, day's wage. One owed 500 denarii, over, over, over a year's wages, okay? And the other, 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said, you have rightly judged. You judge rightly here. You didn't judge rightly back there where you judged that if I knew who this woman was, I wouldn't have anything to do with her. But here you've judged rightly. Okay, so just try to bring this into modern day situation. Let's just say you, you've overspent on your credit card by about $3,000. Yeah, you know what in interest rates are like on credit cards. And all of a sudden the bank called you and said, hey, you know what? We've cancelled your debt. You don't owe it anymore. Now, don't get excited. That's not going to happen, okay? <laughs> you know, don't even start dreaming or daydreaming. Just pay attention here because I know you're going to go, oh, yeah, that means I can do this. No, 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 you've still got that debt, okay? But just imagine it happen, okay? But also imagine there was somebody else and they hold $120,000 on their mortgage and they've come to the end of their working life. They're no longer working now and they've got no means of repaying this and they're going to be living in their retirement years just eking out a living to pay this debt off. And then the bank phones them and says, you know what, we've cancelled the balance on your mortgage. Which one would be more grateful? The answer's obvious. Okay. Then he turned to the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, cancelled. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Wow. Wow. Jesus cut right across the culture. All of a sudden, she's won, he lost. How did that happen? The Pharisee thought his judgment cancelled the woman and disqualified Jesus. Jesus is obviously not a prophet. He's not a man of God. He's not from God. Otherwise, he would not have allowed this woman this close. 
But Jesus, sorry, though Jesus knew about her, he didn't cancel her. He doesn't cancel anyone. Instead, he judged the Pharisee who was attempting to take the speck out of the eyes of others, yet had a log in his own eye. That's right. That's how it was. The Pharisee saw her sin, but did not realize the full extent of his sin lurking within. Pride, which God hates. Self-righteousness. Judgmentalism that leads to cancelling others. These things God hates. You know, the only people Jesus got angry with was the Pharisees. Didn't get angry with the prostitutes or the crooked tax collectors. Didn't condone them saying that but he got angry with this kind of self-righteousness people are ultimately judged by how they see Jesus the Pharisees saw him as a teacher rabbi teacher I've got something to ask you he only called him a teacher the woman saw him as a savior she knew her sin and embraced his forgiveness amen I, you know, I, it dawned on me that the people that have the greatest revelation of Jesus are usually the ones that have the truest revelation of themselves. You see your own need. You see your own sin. You'll see Jesus quickly. It's the sick that know they need a doctor. Amen. And you'll run to the doctor when you know you're sick. And this woman didn't see Jesus as a teacher that, you know, he could play or she could play theological games with. She needed a saviour. She fell at the feet of the saviour and went away forgiven. This man didn't see his need. He thought, if I've got a debt, it's a small debt. You know? It's nothing, but actually he had a bigger debt than what he realized. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the, he said to, go, he said, sorry, he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. A beautiful story. Jesus cancelled the cancel culture by receiving all who came to him. His culture was above that culture and flushed it out. Wherever he was, there was no cancel culture. Everyone was free to come to him. He was willing to lose his reputation and go out on a limb for that. How could he do that? How could he do that? Well, he cancelled the things that cancel people. That's, that's how he did it. He cancelled the things that cancel us. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, we read, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, and which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That, that phrase, wiped out, which is in the New King James Version, is ex, 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 
I don't know if I pronounced that right. It means to blot out, obliterate, destroy, wipe out. That's what the cancel culture does with people. It blots them out, obliterates them, destroys them, wipes them out. But Jesus does that with the things that cancel people. Now, many other translations, I looked at several other translations, and many of them, or several of them at least, translate that word, exalefo, which is wiped out, as being cancelled. Jesus cancels the things that cancel people. Amen. In, in the New Covenant, he says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And as I've shared before, that word remember means to remember against someone, to bring it up, to bring a charge against them. It's not that God has a mental block, block out. He cannot do that. But he will never mention our sins again. They've been cancelled. That's why we know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you feel condemnation, you know it's not from God because he said, I will remember against you no more those things that have been cancelled, that have been dealt with. Jesus' culture of grace and unconditional love confronts the cancel culture. It says to those who are uncomfortable with dealing with the log in their own eye, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. Now you know the, the context of that. Remember they brought another cancelled woman to Jesus, caught in the act of adultery. And they said, Moses under the law says she should be stoned. What do you say? It was another gotcha moment. It was a trap. It was a setup. If he says yes, stone her, what about all this teaching you've been going on about love and forgiveness and mercy? But if you say don't stone her, then you're running contrary to the law of Moses. And he, he bent down and began to write in the ground. I know a lot of preachers have speculated what that might be. It doesn't matter. We're not told what it is. But he just ignored them. He would not respond. And the Bible says they kept pressing him. And then he looked up. He said, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. Wow. Then he bent down again and began to write in the ground. And one by one, one by one, they left. And then he looked up and he said, where are your accusers? Where are they? She said, there are none, Lord. You've canceled them. You've canceled them. By breaking down the, the barriers that says there's them and us, the canceled and the uncanceled, by making us all one, sinners who need salvation, you who without sin cast the first stone, they realised that they were not in a position to do that. He cancelled those who accused her. There was none. And then he said, the only one who was there that could have accused her is Jesus. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now notice this. He didn't say, go and sin no more, then I won't condemn you. That's what religion says. Okay, stop doing that and then you'll be accepted. No, he, he said, go. He said, neither do I condemn you. You're forgiven. Go and sin no more. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. 
She tasted the goodness of God and went away a changed person. Now, just to wrap this up, the three things I want to say just in closing. Number one, if there's anybody watching this or listening to this on YouTube or whatever, and you've been cancelled <coughs> through the cancel culture or through the religious culture of excommunication, which happens in some circles, where you've been banished and driven out of town, as it were. I want to tell you that was not Jesus that did that. He would never do that. Why do I know that? Because he said, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. There's no way I will ever cast you out. You cannot read or show me one place in the Bible where Jesus cancelled someone, told them they're not welcome, not worthy. And I want to say, if anybody's listening and, and you've been crushed by this, look into the eyes of Jesus this morning. He's on your side. He was cancelled. But he cancelled the cancel culture. He cancelled the things that cancelled you. And he brings you in to his arms and to his love. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing is that we need to be like Jesus. An unforgiving, vindictive attitude is no place in the Christian life. I, I, you know, I can understand to some extent that the world gets into this. But when I see Christians behaving like this, it saddens my heart. It saddens my heart that people would, would gang up against someone and attack them. Christian culture sees no one as irredeemable. I'll share something with you, and uh, I, I, I deliberately won't go into all the details. It might be a little bit sensitive for some people, but I think in the context of what, you, what I'm sharing, you'll understand. I was pastoring somewhere once, and there was someone who wanted a fellowship with us. But there was a problem. I knew this person years ago. And uh, he was a Christian. Everything was going well in his life. And then one day, the police turned up on his doorstep. And he was arrested for something he did before he was a Christian. He was involved with pedophilia. Okay, now let me just again say this. I've got no tolerance for that. Okay, there's got to be accountability for that sort of thing. In fact, when we taught at our Bible school, we used to teach when we did counselling. If somebody comes to you and they say, uh, there's something I want to share with you, but I don't want you to share this with anyone else, you stop them right there. You say, hang on, just stop right there. If you're going to tell me that you have abused someone or hurt someone or you plan to do that, I have a duty of care to report you. Okay, that's our, that's our responsibility. So you understand where I'm coming from. I'm not in any way, I've got no tolerance for that. But he met Christ, he repented, he was a changed man, he was married. But the police caught up with him and he had to go to court and he went to prison. He did the crime, he did the time. When he got released, the prison warden that was in charge of him said to him i'm going to make sure the press follow you wherever you go 
and you're going to get run out of town wherever you go. And that's exactly what happened. He ended up living not far from here, actually, with his sister. And uh, next thing, you know, opens the curtain and there's all the press waiting for him and alerting everyone that he's there, he's in town, he's in the neighbourhood. Now, he reached out to me because I knew him in the past and said, Ken, I want, I want to come to your church. I want, I want to fellowship. And we discussed this as a leadership. And uh, someone rightly said, look, you know, uh, you do that. The press will be outside our meeting. You'll get known for all the wrong reasons. That's the first thing. Somebody else said, you know, if, if, he, if he does fellowship with us, we have a duty of care to tell the parents. We have someone that has been convicted in the past of pedophilia in our midst. We have a duty of care. Now, all these things are true, and I thank God for wisdom. See, this is why we have plural leadership. This is why we believe in plural leadership. No one person has got it all. We need people to bring their wisdom together. But there was one comment that was made that I've got to say has haunted me ever since. One of the one of the ladies that was with us in leadership said this. She said, I, I know someone who works with those people. And this person that she's talking about was not a Christian, okay, it's a secular uh, social worker or whatever. And she said this, they never change. They never change. When I heard that, I, I was in conflict. Because the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Where sin abounds, his grace abounds much more. His grace can cause people to stop doing wrong things like that, can clean up their lives and give them another chance in life. Only the gospel can do that. And so that's why I'm telling you this story. I know it's a little bit sensitive and, and you know what I feel about pedophilia. In fact, I wrote, I think it was in our Identity Driven Life course, that it's, it's the ultimate betrayal. When someone has been given trust of a child and they abuse that person sexually, it's, it's the ultimate thing. It's a terrible thing. But friends, it's not the unforgivable sin. And the person that did it is not irredeemable. See, this is why, I know some of you are kind of processing this thing now, this is why I call this scandalous grace. Scandalous grace. This is hard for some people to embrace. I'm trying to give you the, the, the most raw situation where would we say someone is not redeemable, cannot come. Now, I'm not saying there need to be checks and balances and protection and so on. Of course there does. We've got to look after our little ones and our children and so on. But I'm just saying, would we run that person out of town? I remember when we had, uh, you know, COVID and there was the talk that if somebody came here, when we were at that stage, remember the, 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 the ruling, and they hadn't been in, uh, vaccinated, that we would have to send them away. Man, I struggled with that. I'm so glad that we were never put in that position. Thank God. I could not imagine me saying, look, sorry, you can't come in, you've got to turn around, get back in your car and go home. I can't imagine Jesus saying that to anyone. I don't know what we would have done. I'm just saying, hey, to me, I err on the side of love. I err on the side of the grace of God. I err on the side of 
No one's cancelled. No one's cancelled. Only the gospel would go out on a limb to give that message, give that hope to those that have done just the most despicable things. The gospel is the power of God under salvation. If you can take a man like Paul, who hated Christians, who attacked the church, who persecuted Christians to the point of death and imprisonment, if you could take him and turn him around and make him the chief apostle, what could he do for anyone? The gospel is the power of God under salvation. Jesus cancelled the things that cancel people. And he reaches out to everyone and says, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your precious word. We thank you for not only the teaching of Jesus, but the example of Jesus. Lord, we're just so... We're just so encouraged by the fact that the lowest felt they could come to Jesus and hang out with him. Lord, he never condoned their sin. They were transformed in his presence. They went away a new creation. They went away and sinned no more. We think of Zacchaeus, Lord, who was a rip-off merchant, who cheated many people, and yet when he met Jesus, he restored, was it, four time and of that which he gave, and, and half of his money he gave to the poor. He was a changed man. That's the gospel, which is the power of God under salvation. And we pray, Lord God, that we would just continue to preach this gospel, even if it's scandalous at times, that people will know we will never shun them, we will never reject them, even if there are consequences for their actions, which may prohibit them in some areas, we will always be available to them. They can always come to us and find in us a friend because Jesus lives in us. We ask it in his wonderful name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.